Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Now we've got some exciting things to share with you today. First off, January is Thyroid Health Awareness Month. And in preparation for getting ready to really help get the word out about thyroid, of which about 20 million people in the United States have some type of thyroid problem. Today we have surgical oncologist Dr. Shane Morita, a frequent guest of the show, who's going to talk with us about why we should be concerned about the thyroid and in a way that all of us can hear more information about it up and coming this, uh, this Wednesday, actually, in just a few days. And then after we hear from Dr. Morita, we're also going to be talking with Dr. Steve Wilhite. And we're going to be talking about sleep apnea, another fairly serious condition, particularly if not treated, and what are some of the things that dentists can do to help. And so we have got some fabulous information to share with you. But first, without further ado, Dr. Shane Morita, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, nice. thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, you're giving this wonderful lecture about the thyroid. A lot of people don't know where the thyroid is and what does it do. Thyroid Health Awareness Month is January what is the thyroid? Where is it? And should people really be worried about it? Sure. So the thyroid is a gland that uh, is situated in the lower part of the front of your neck, and it's important, and it drives our metabolism, our, our energy. So to uh, a deficiency in, in thyroid hormone will make you very sluggish. You could lose hair. You gain weight. Uh, too much in excess, if you will, would cause one to be very jittery, anxious, uh, uh, potentially having some heat intolerance and um, actually w- weight loss. So, um, and and also uh, just the the sheer fact that you can get thyroid cancer, which is becoming very um, very common. We're seeing a lot more of that. Is there any reason you can think of why? You know, I think it's twofold. I think the environment is changing. Um, we're we're doing a lot more um, imaging studies for for sort of incidental. Um, complaints and we're, we're finding this we're finding this on on pet scan um, I think people are just more aware but I, I think uh, it definitely is recognized that it is in- increasing and it's just something that I think you need to be cognizant of because if if caught late it can be very difficult to treat at times so people are doing scans for other reasons and those scans are picking up problems with the thyroid it's not that the scan is causing a thyroid problem correct i know when i go to see the dentist and we're going to talk with one later today whenever mm-hmm. i do x-rays they're always like covering you up with lead and covering your thyroid yeah. so we're not talking about imaging causing thyroid problems it's more like hey by the way you did this scan of your neck and look what we found sure and the real question is what do you do about it if you find something on a scan or if somebody has some symptoms and you detect something in their blood work that this could be a sign of something that's concerning, whether it be too fast thyroid, too slow thyroid, or maybe just some sort of a mass that shouldn't be there. Now, a lot of folks come in and they ask me about the thyroid. A lot of women want to know, is their thyroid working? There's a family history of low thyroid. A lot of men want to know, is there something serious they have to be concerned about? How can the public find out more about thyroid? They can all go ask their doctor, and that's definitely true. But wouldn't it be great if they could hear from people who've had thyroid problems and get their firsthand story? That sort of inspired you to give an upcoming lecture on Wednesday. Tell me a little more about that. Well, right. You're, you're on Wednesday in a couple of days at 530. We're gonna, I'm going to give an overview about thyroid conditions, talk about thyroid cancer, hyperthyroidism, uh, hypothyroidism, and just goiter, which is enlarged thyroid. Um, but we're going to have some patients that uh, are willing to share some of their 
really their challenges and, and try to help others uh, as far as what they went through, their experiences. Uh, they all had surgery, but they all have different paths, different backgrounds, and some had overactive thyroid, some had underactive thyroids, and s- some had thyroid cancer. So I think every, every all of them are, um, are special, and um, it should be a, a very interesting discussion. Now, where and when is this going to take place? It's going to be at 5.30 on December 9th, so just this Wednesday at Queen's Conference Center, and, and it's completely free. So anybody who wants to learn about the thyroid, what if they were diagnosed with a thyroid problem? They could still learn something. Sure, absolutely. They could learn a lot. Now, you're also going to do something I think is going to be interesting, and I would challenge, and this, this is probably where I, I get myself in trouble, but I would challenge people who go there to pay close attention to what you say about how to do a good thyroid exam. And then when you go see your doctor, and I'll put myself in there, myself included, you can ask them to do a thyroid exam. And you, the individual, can be the judge and see if their exam kind of follows some of the principles that you, Dr. Marita, are going to teach folks on Wednesday. So if you were to tell somebody about the basic thyroid examination, how would you explain that exam? I realize it's easier to see it in person, but how would you explain it? Well, basically, I would have them uh, look in the mirror and uh, drink a glass of water and basically find their, uh, we call it laryngeal prominence, but thyroid notch, and it's the Adam's apple. And basically, right below that that level, um, I would have them swallow and just see um, if they can note any type of lumps and, and feel. And in fact, a patient I just saw today who uh, was just diagnosed with thyroid cancer, he was shaving. And when you shave, uh, most of us will tilt our heads backward, so it's called hyperextension. And that brings protrudes the thyroid. It makes it much more pronounced. And so he could actually notice the lump himself because he saw it moving. So a, a classic thyroid cancer that comes from a nodule will move as you swallow. It will move up. So that's how this gentleman who I just saw today again um, told me. How so he, he was shaving. He looks in the mirror. He was shaving, And exactly. he notices this. Correct. You know, this is sort of related and just shares my ridiculous TV watching, but I'm a big fan of HGTV. I just, I love to see people buy homes internationally. I do not know why. And there was a star of this show called Flip and Flip or Flop or something, Tark or Tariq or something. And he actually was on national television and he had a nodule that some nurse in the viewing audience mm-hmm. somewhere in the United States went ahead and said, that guy's got a problem and called the station and mm-hmm. basically somehow got through to him. You've got a lump. I've seen it on TV. You mm-hmm. have to get it checked out. And he had it removed. And I think it was precancerous or cancer. So, you know, you really can even visualizing now. It may be like want to stare at everyone's neck, but you really could. If you did lean your head back a little, people could see that, not just yourself, but somebody else could see if you have a lump that seems to move. Sure. And you said if it moves up, that could be concerning. So, you know, even good that this viewer was was able to notice this and actually brought it to this individual's attention. But boy, I mean, she she could have saved his life. Well, you know, and, and I mean, just not to just not to jump to conclusions, but, you know, most thyroid nodules are benign, but it's just typically how thyroid cancer is detected. It comes from a nodule, whether it's found on a scan or found on physical examination, you know, be it by patient or healthcare provider, but you know, um, it's just. And sometimes I find thyroid cancer where someone uh, just called me the other day and they had a biopsy of a of a growth on the spine, 
and it ends up being thyroid cancer. So on the you, spine, on the spine that spread there. So we know it's coming from the thyroid. So you know it can be you know very unusual um, you know situations, but ju- just to be aware that thyroid cancer, most of the times patients do very well, but again. It, it can be very aggressive, and it can spread to the brain. It can spread to the bones, but uh, typically uh, it, it's, it's treatable. Well, and your point is well taken. Not every nodule is a cancer. If you have a nodule that does not equal cancer, do some follow-up, get it checked out. Now, the other curious part about that is could you have a potential thyroid cancer and have a lump in your neck but have normal thyroid blood testing. Absolutely. Most patients who have thyroid cancer are what we call euthyroid. So their TSH, which is a hormone that comes from the brain, is completely normal. Um, and that's a good point. So just because your, your, your blood tests show that you have a normal functioning thyroid, that does not preclude you from having thyroid cancer. And, you know, the other thing I always tell folks is check your neck if you're concerned. If you ever find a lump or bump on your body, let your doctor know. I mean, yes, when you come in for a general and medical examination, we're going to examine some areas where you may not have symptoms. But respectfully, when you bring your car in to get your car checked out, I'll tell my my mechanic, hey, it's making a weird noise when I do whatever, because they may not know if they don't turn the car on that it's making a weird sure. noise. So if you ever find a lump or bump on your body, and far be it for me to suggest that your car is more important than your body, I, I, I just mean this as an example, that you should bring it to your physician or your nurse practitioner, your primary care provider's attention, because it might be nothing, it might be something, but if you don't show that to them and it's somewhere hidden, unusual locations, or in this case, you know, if you felt something in your neck, let your doctor or your primary care provider know about it because then they can target an evaluation to that area. Sure, exactly. Physical examination, the next test will be an, an ultrasound, which is non-invasive, you know, no radiation, and you can characterize the nodule, and if it looks suspicious, then a needle biopsy. And you can do more testing, and not all biopsies are cancer. A lot of biopsies show just nothing serious, and not all nodules have to be removed. Yes. So if you're fearful that, oh, no, I feel a lump, I don't want to know, I don't want to get it checked out, be aware that you might get a lot of reassurance Mm -hmm. as a a result of at least finding out what it is, and even if you need to do a biopsy, finding out what it isn't, which is often just as helpful. And you brought up uh, something interesting about, um, you know, the ra- radiation and, and whatnot. Um, yes, you know, too much radiation is not good as far as from, you know, getting CAT scans. But, um, you know, others, other ways of getting radiation is just radiation exposure. Remember with Chernobyl in 1986, but now there's, there's a lot of concern with Fukushima. So um, I think that's something, you know, you know, in the future we need to look at a little further. Well, and we also have a large population of folks who come from the Marshall Islands, and they may have been exposed, depending on how old they are, to the radiation from World War II trials in the Bikini Atoll. So that's another potential source. And I know for a while the Department of Energy was actually providing medical services to folks and having them have their thyroid checked because of that concern of the ionizing radiation in the thyroid. So that there, is, there are populations here in the islands for whom there is a specific additional risk. But if you happen to have traveled somewhere where there's a huge radiation disaster or something of the like, again, let somebody know about it, your doctor, your primary care provider, so that they can keep an extra watch on something should there be a need to be monitoring your thyroid. So 
Tell me again about the event. It's coming up Wednesday. So if you don't have plans Wednesday night and you want to get a really good education on thyroid, this is your chance. Right. And again, um, it's not only going to be me speaking, but I'm going to have some my patients who have graciously donated their time and want to share and and want to participate in this event because they want to help educate other other folks in the public. And where could they call to get more information? Uh, they can call our Queen's uh, referral line at 691-7117. And it's, again, it's completely free, open to the public, called Speaking of Health. So it really is a great way to get people knowledgeable about the thyroid. January is Thyroid Health Awareness. This is a lecture that, you know, Dr. Shane Marita, you're here. You're going to be giving this talk. You're also going to show people how the thyroid should be examined. And the other thing, which I think is invaluable, is people are going to get to hear firsthand from patients who have been through this experience and have gone down that road and have had diagnoses and had some sort of surgical treatment. And there's nothing like hearing someone else's story to really bring it on home. Oh, absolutely. I think it's very powerful. And we always have a question and answer um, session too. So any questions, um, you know, whether from me or or for the uh, the, uh, the the panel. And who else is on the panel? Uh, it's primarily the pa- the patient. The patient. So if patients, you have yes. a question for an individual, you could ask them. But then, sure. if there's a more medical component, they could also talk with you as well. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for for being the one to give this lecture. I know you have a busy practice and after hours, you're going to stay and you're going to be taking some time away to educate the public, kind of similar to what we do here. We do this out of out of the need to educate folks about what else about their health they should be concerned about and what's up and coming and the new ways that we treat things. Because the way we handle thyroid disease these days is totally different than what we did 30, 40 years ago. There's a lot of new changes that have happened in a good way. Yes. All right, fantastic. So I'll give you that number again, 691-7117, and that is the referral line for the Queen's Conference Center. It's a beautiful facility. I was there a few months ago. It really is a nice facility, and if you can get an education about a health topic for free, it sounds like a great deal to me. All right, so thanks for coming on, Shane, and telling us more about that. And we'll have to have you come back sometime next year, and we'll talk more during Thyroid Awareness Month about some of the other aspects that people should be concerned about. Sure. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right. We're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to talk about the snorers. Do you snore or does someone you love snore? It might just be a bit of noise, but for some folks, it could be a sign of something serious known as sleep apnea. This means that your body doesn't get enough oxygen at night and it causes a break in that normal sleep cycle and it can make somebody feel tired all day long, no matter how many hours they were in bed the night before. Now, sleep apnea, which not every snorer has sleep apnea, but for those who do, if left untreated, can lead to high blood pressure, heart disease, arrhythmias, even death. There are some cases of that as well. So, you know, certainly this is something that is a huge issue for those folks who have been diagnosed. And a lot of people think that if you get a diagnosis, you must wear a continuous positive airway pressure or CPAP mask. But we are going to hear from Dr. Steve Wilhite. He is a dentist extraordinaire, and he has helped to pioneer a whole different way that we are treating sleep apnea. That is something that can, for some folks, replace machines like CPAP, could be used in addition to or 
could be used with to see if we can help somebody to lower the amount of pressure that they need for their oxygen. Now, as always, you can be in the studio too, and you can join our conversation. And if you've ever been diagnosed with sleep apnea, this is the time for you to listen in. And if you have questions, we've got a phone number for you to join us, 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Will Height, welcome to The Body Show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Now, lots of people snore. Is all snoring a problem? Uh, socially, it could be. <laughs> I like that. Socially, <laughs> it could be quite isolating. We treat okay. uh, snoring as a social issue. Uh, but uh, as far as apnea, it's a medical condition, and it has to be diagnosed by a physician. So out of those people, I looked up some statistics, and it was like 45% of people snore. And out of that, 25% are habitual snorers. They snore all the time. Now, out of the habitual snorers, a third of men, a fifth of women have some degree of sleep apnea. Current stats say about 22 million Americans have sleep apnea. 80% of the cases of moderate to severe apnea is undiagnosed. True. So tell me, when people come to see you who have apnea, what are the common symptoms they tell you about? Um, Lack of dreams. So they will never get into the deep sleep, the REM sleep. And where they have their dreams, so they do. They obviously, obviously, they wake up. They're tired all day long. Uh, they fall asleep. Uh, it's a big issue with some of the commercial drivers and obviously airline pilots. Uh, um, yeah, we want all of those folks and to be able to be well rested. Some of the train wrecks on the mainland. I mean, they attribute that to sleep apnea. So, um, so daytime sleepiness is a big issue that they say. But s- dreams. So if you dream, then could you think, well, I guess I don't have apnea. I was dreaming. Uh, That's a tough one. You probably wouldn't want to make that assumption, I would imagine. Have to see the sleep study. Okay. And you mentioned a sleep study, and that's the way that sleep apnea is diagnosed. Tell me what a sleep study really does. What are we monitoring, and and how is that actually going to take place? Well, so a sleep study is actually done by a a pulmonologist specialist, So, but I've been at Queens and in the sleep You've center. You've seen the lab. Yes. Show, tell times. me what it looks like. Well, it's uh, they have beds in there and uh, they actually get wired up and pretty much every time the patient will tell you is that there's no way I could have slept in there. I mean, it's just it's just too much. There's wires. So they the main thing they're watching for is to see the oxygen desaturations where they where they actually stop breathing and then their oxygen desat their will drop and then the brain will kick it in and say, you know, you're suffocating. And then that's when you hear the gasp and they'll wake up. And so by that gasping, they never really have gotten into that deep sleep. So they measure the oxygen. They measure obvious respiration. They measure the the noise. They actually have that. Um, A noise meter. I could, uh, I'd love to record some folks who snore and let them know how loud they're snoring. Roger Yim's the head of the sleep clinic and he's actually has a very good, um, uh, repertoire of snores. So that he, I bet. Yeah, he's, he's got a full recording. He'll be recording. embarrassed for me telling that. So. All right. Yeah. So so what you do is if you're going to be diet, if, you ha- if there's a concern about sleep apnea, then you would be going to a lab, you'd be seeing a specialist, and they would do a study 
to find out if you really do have apnea or not. All right. And so if you're told that you have apnea, Mm -hmm. it's because you have low oxygen level in your body, Mm -hmm. and that's because you're not taking breaths and your air is not getting into your lungs the way it should. Mm -hmm. And if it happens often enough, your whole sleep cycle is all a mess. Exactly. Because there's more than one cycle when you sleep. There's several different stages. There's one through four, and then the dream stage, we call it REM sleep or rapid eye movement. And so if you can't get through those stages, that's why the next day, you get up and you're like, I I didn't even sleep last night. I'm so exhausted and tired. And so that that was the first question back in the early 90s. I, I, I asked the I says, oh, how can people sleep with this? And they say, because they wake up in the morning refreshed. So they finally have gotten a good night's sleep, something that you and I get normally. And so we don't have that sensation. But that when the patient actually wears that CPAP and put up with it, they wake up and they feel... Like they've had 20 cups of coffee. They've gotten, they feel rested. And that would make them want to continue to wear the machine. Yes, exactly. There's got to be a benefit because if they don't notice it, they're not going to wear it. Exactly. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Steve Wilhite. And we are going to be talking some more about CPAP dental devices, and if you've got apnea, there may be some options that you might not be aware of that you could take advantage of even now. So we'll be right back in just a few minutes, but if you happen to know someone you love who has apnea and who hates that machine, maybe you know they're not wearing it, you can confess for them, and we might just have an option of what else they could do. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. 3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. My name is Blair Collis. I'm president and CEO of the Benice Puahi Bishop Museum. The best part of being an underwriter is that it is the right thing to do. It is the right business decision. It is the right market to be in. But more importantly, it helps deliver something for the community that it truly needs. Hawaii Public Radio, celebrating partnership, building community. On the next humankind. Would you rather be at home making homemade soap with your daughter or waiting in line in some shopping mall? We feel like we have reclaimed the holiday from the Scrooges, from the people who just want our money and want us to continue on this consumer treadmill. Celebrating the December holidays with less merchandise and more quality time with those we love. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Steve Wilhite, and we are talking about sleep apnea and what can dentists do to help treat this condition. A lot of folks think it just has to do with wearing a mask, and granted, for some folks, that's all they can do, but boy, there's a lot of other options out there. Now, before the break, we were talking a little bit about how do you get diagnosed with apnea, and even if you go to a sleep lab, and you can't sleep when you're there. There are some things that can be monitored to find out if you have this, what we call an obstruction in the airways, meaning you try and get in a breath, it can't get in all the way, and then you stop breathing, and as a result, your oxygen levels go down. So now, at some point, that's when you get the diagnosis, and Dr. Wilhite, that's where you step in. So someone would be sent to you 
from their sleep specialist or from their primary care provider because either they're not wearing the mask that they should be wearing or maybe they have a mild enough case that you could do something for them. So tell me a little bit about what this whole process is because you've got... And we'll we'll post a picture on the Facebook page after the show. But you've got a whole plethora of different dental devices that I'm looking at that can help someone to breathe. Why would putting something in your mouth make you breathe better? So all the appliances, the last time I looked a couple of weeks ago, it was like 124 appliances, designs of them. And they all work the same. They bring your mandible forward, your lower jaw forward, and your tongue is hooked to your mandible, your lower jaw. So by bringing your jaw forward uh, uh, about 60% of its maximum uh, protrusive um, and stabilizing it with this mouthpiece, it keeps the tongue from closing and falling back. And that's what's really happening is your tongue gets in the way. Yeah, And that's why people will have the apneas, they call them positional, where they're on their back or you'll notice a snore is really bad on their back and and it's just gravity taking over. So they get them onto the side and uh, they won't have as much issues with snoring or some of the apnea, so it will completely go away. Um, so when you're dealing with a situation like this where the tongue actually is falling in the back mm-hmm. and you, you wear some sort of an appliance that brings the jaw forward, mm-hmm. as a dentist, does that ruin your jaw? Are you going to get TMJ? Are you going to get some sort of a problem later on? That's a great question. Um, if we have someone that has severe uh, TMJ problems, we won't go ahead and make the appliance. The appliance is not the answer for them. So because they already have a jaw issue. If they have a jaw issue, that's we, not gonna work we won't them. go there. Okay. Um, and, but, um, and that's what the, there's, like I, we were talking earlier, several studies, you know, thousands, 5,000 now up out of UBC up in Vancouver, Dr. Lowe. Um, and they've come up with a, not uh, a total protrusion of your mandible, but about 50 to 60 percent and open it up a couple of millimeters. We know we open up the airway over 50 to 60 percent, the volume. So we know that solves the issue without causing a joint problem. The bigger issue, we do know after, you know, 15 or 20 years of looking at models and, and studying, we will get some shifting of some teeth. Not everyone, and from my experience over 20 years, it's the people that really clench hard and grind their teeth at night have a tendency to get some of the space between their back molars. And so we tell them going in right up front that if that happens, uh, we have two choices. We can either stop the oral appliance and go back to CPAP, or um, they just have to floss every day and clean that out if they're eating you know, broccoli or fish or whatever it might be. Shouldn't we be flossing every day? Absolutely. Anyway, yes. okay. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> okay, we've got Carla on the line from the Big Island. Carla, welcome to the Body Show. Hi there. We Hi. are just what starting to talk about dental appliances and apnea. What can we do for you? I well, I said I'm not. Can you hear me? Okay. We can hear you perfectly. Okay. Um, what is a CPAP? And then I have another que- question. Um, I don't know if you would be interested in answering this, but I, ha- I had an ambulance here yesterday because they wanted to take me to the hospital for dengue fever. And I just, I've had it for like two weeks, and I'm just wondering um, if I am all right not to go to the hospital. Well, that sounds silly, but. No, it doesn't. So why don't why don't I take on couple of those questions, and, and we'll be able to help you out. So right. first of all, the CPAP question that you had, what is it? So when people have a problem with oxygen levels not being high enough in their bloodstream when they're sleeping because they're not taking adequate breaths, 
The only thing you can do to make sure they're getting oxygen is you can go ahead and give them a machine that they use at night. They wear it like a mask and it straps onto their face and it pressurizes the oxygen. So it kind of pushes the air in there. So if there's something in the way, you're kind of pushing it out of the way. And that's a way that we can actually help people to get better oxygen levels at night. And in doing so, they can sleep better and they can feel well-rested the next day. And that's the gold standard. When we say gold standard, we mean that's the best possible way to treat it is to wear this mask at night all night long and to wear this pressurized amount of air that goes into your breathing tubes, into your lungs. Now, it's not the most comfortable thing. And that's why a lot of folks say, you know what, I'm going to try it. I hate it. I feel like I'm, I can't breathe. If you have sinus troubles and you're pressurizing this oxygen into your sinuses, it can make you feel like you feel even more congested. And if you have an infection in your sinuses, it makes things worse. So there's a lot of reasons why some people don't tolerate the machine. Now, if you do, don't stop what you're doing. It's working great. But if you don't, what are some of the other options? And that's kind of what we're talking about today. So we're going to talk a little more about the machine as we go forth with the discussion. But we're also going to talk about these dental appliances that you can put into your mouth to help you with your jaw position so you might not even need to use the machine. And that's really the news flash for me is not all apnea equals this what we call continuous positive airway pressure or CPAP machine. Now, your second question, I'm going to field that one because Dr. Wilhite is not an expert in dengue fever. And I would say, you know, if if you talked to your primary care provider and you're feeling that bad and or an ambulance said get checked out because you might be dehydrated or you might have some other medical need, you really got to listen to them because unfortunately there really isn't any medical treatment for dengue fever as far as antibiotics or antivirals. But the way that it makes people feel with the high fevers and with the body aches and the chills, that could actually set off a chain reaction in your body. And if you get dehydrated or if you start having problems with your electrolytes or if you have problems with your muscles and the muscle enzymes, that's really not something that you want to take lightly. So my advice to you on that is if a medical professional said, go to the hospital and get checked out, they have a reason why they said it. They're looking at you. They're checking your vital signs like blood pressure. And they're giving you some advice that you really want to follow. And if you don't, you should call your primary care provider. Make sure you get checked out in the next day or two before you feel a lot worse. So that's Dr. Wilhite. I'm just going to take that one for you because that's, <laughs> that's, that's not your area of expertise. We'll, we'll give you the CPAP machine and you can talk more about that. Okay. Um, but I just want to make sure, Carla, that you don't ignore some of the early symptoms of trouble because I wouldn't want you to suffer consequences if you didn't listen to the expert advice for medical professionals. So that would be my advice for your question about dengue fever. Now, Dr. Wilhite, tell me a little bit about, let's go back to the CPAP question because that was a really good question about the machine. Mm -hmm. And there are folks who use the machine and they have a variety of reasons why Although they feel great the next day because they feel well-rested, that night is kind of tumultuous. They're not having the easiest time. What sort of complaints do they tell you about the machine that brings them to your office? Um, well, dryness. You know, it dries them out. They, uh, their whole mouth and sinus, and it sounds that usually is an issue. So a dry mouth, okay. Uh, another big issue here in Hawaii is travel. So if they're traveling with a, a CPAP machine, they if they're going through TSA, they either have to turn it on and demonstrate it if TSA acts them, or they have to pack it in their luggage, which takes up a lot of room. 
So we have several patients over the years now that actually use their CPAP in Honolulu and then travel with their oral appliance. So let's talk a little bit about the oral appliance okay. because, you know, the CPAP machine is is there and it's good and it helps people. And if you can tolerate it and you were diagnosed with apnea, don't stop using it now if you figured out a way to make this comfortable and your rest is good. Absolutely. Now let's talk about those folks for whom that is not the case. And I think we talked a little bit briefly earlier and you were mentioning that, you know, a lot of folks... They wear the CPAP machine for the first three or four hours, and then they get up to go to the bathroom because, you know, interestingly enough, when you have better oxygen levels, you bring more blood flow to your kidneys. And if your kidneys get more blood flow, they're working, you're going to need to pee. Absolutely. So you're going to get up in the middle of the night, and you're going to have to pee. And then when you go back to bed, you're like, oh, do I have to put on that machine again? I don't want to. And so sometimes folks will not want to put the machine on again. They've gotten three or four hours of good sleep. They go back to sleep for another three or four hours. They have this oxygen problem again, and they're not wearing their machine. And so they're not getting the full benefit. Exactly. So let's talk about the appliances that you've got in front of you. And so the whole goal is to reposition the jaw, which in essence repositions the tongue and takes away the obstruction. Exactly. Are these big appliances? Can you put them in your mouth? Can you breathe with them in there? Well, absolutely, you can. I would hope so because you kind of have to, right? <laughs> and and you know our listeners can't see these, but we have some that were originally back in the early '80s, actually uh, uh, developed and designed here in Honolulu in 1983 by uh, a, a retired orthodontist, Peter George, and Bruce Soule, who's a pulmonologist and is taught at the med school. Um, and that was a little bit different, and it was really hard to titrate it or adjust it uh, forward or backwards, depending on the uh, the person's symptoms. And so now we've went from that one all the way to the newest, latest, uh, our 3D printed. So we went from one size fits all to one size fits you exactly because we printed it the way you need it. Exactly. We'll take impressions, and we'll take a digital uh, impression of that, and everything's printed. It's nylon. It's very lightweight. Um, uh, we've probably been making this for a little bit over a year, um, probably a year and a half now with this. So, And you have to have a couple different types of designs. So some of the uh, hardware, if you will, the, the parts that hold your jaw forward are on the cheek side, and that works really great. Um, and there's other ones that people that have um, extra bone on their cheeks or their, uh, their jaw bones, and they don't have room in their cheek corridor, if we will. Uh, so we'll put uh, some of these appliances have things that we can actually hide up towards the roof of the mouth that allows it's a little bit more comfortable uh, in that situation. So depends on the person's anatomy and their uh, their mouth and how many teeth they have. They have to have teeth. That's a number one thing. Well, that's there. an important thing. You have to have teeth to to provide the anchor for this. Exactly. So and they do make some for people that are edentulous with no teeth dentures, and it's like a big pacifier. And I've made three over. And it's got a bubble, and they stick their tongue in it, and you squeeze in it, and it holds the tongue out. And I've had nothing, no compliance with that. It just, they have this huge hickey on their tongue, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that would be it, too comfortable. It so, is not. So you have the diagnosis of apnea. You have teeth. We do. So, And then they see someone like you. And how would they know which appliance would work best? Do they choose? Do you choose? Does it depend on the situation for them? Who You said there's like 124 of them. How do you know which one will work the best? Well, that's a great question from experience and, you know, reading the literature. And um, there's, a, um, there's really 
two major designs. You're either going to have the hardware on the cheek side or you're going to have the roof of the mouth. And so it depends on their anatomy of their mouth, and that's how we usually tell. And also how far. So if we have someone that cannot uh, move their mandible very far for one reason or another, or uh, they have micronathia, which from their side view, it's like they have no lower jaw, these are not going to work, so we won't even go there. So we'll get referred patients that we, after doing the dental exam, and just say this is not going to work in your situation because of your dental anatomy or your facial anatomy. So there could be some exclusions to who could use this. But in general, if somebody's diagnosed with sleep apnea, mild to moderate, instead of being scared to say, I don't want to use the machine or I've tried it, I don't like it, we've got a new option for you. Exactly. Now, there's another curious part that, that I wanted to review, and that is that this is through medical insurance. So insurance actually covers for someone to see you, not their dental insurance. Exactly. Their medical insurance. As long as they've had a sleep study. And then their physician will send over just a simple prescription, patient intolerant to CPAP, please make oral appliance. It could be as simple as that. And then we can go forward and we will file all their medical insurance claims for them. Uh, It's covered by Medicare also. Kaiser covers it. So, I mean, it's covered here. So there may be a slight additional cost depending on which appliance they use. Exactly. But insurance covers under the medical insurance, not necessarily dental insurance, for someone to get a dental appliance, which is unique. And I wanted to emphasize that for a moment. So if they are determined to have sleep apnea and they need to use some sort of an appliance and they qualify because they have teeth and they meet Mm -hmm. whatever criteria are necessary for this to work, then you provide them with this personalized appliance. Now, how do you know if it's working? That's a great question. Um, Usually what we'll do is the spouse will be the first to tell us. They'll either say, I couldn't sleep because they were so quiet, I was afraid they actually stopped breathing. We'll have that comment real uh, general. Uh, And only recently in the last year, they've allowed us now to start doing home studies so people can take it's like a portable home study that was done at the hospital. Not as sophisticated, but they're allowed to take it home. They hook themselves up, and then we will get the readout, and their sleep specialist will look at that. And usually we do not do that until we've, they've had the oral appliance for about three months, and we've got a chance to adjust it forward and backward based more on their clinical symptoms and their spouse's as feedback from them. So even when you get the appliance, there's still some adjustments that could be made to make it work better. Oh, absolutely. We can move it forward, or if they're having some joint problems, the first day or two, their muscles might be a little sore. Um, But if that doesn't resolve within a couple of days, then I'll have them back in and then move it back a a millimeter or two, and that usually takes care of it. And then we're slowly advancing a half a millimeter every week. To the point where you now have gotten the desired effect for their breathing, for their snoring, for They're their sleeping, yeah. and they can they can actually feel well-rested the next day. Oh, yeah. They won't go anywhere without them. So how could someone use both? Well, that's a great question. So we have uh, two – up until about uh, this summer, it's the first I heard it, was up in, uh, at the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, uh, Dr. Watson out of Seattle. His definition of combined therapy is what he was finding is that a lot of the people – only 30 to 35 percent of the people wear CPAP. And then they started really looking at it and their total episodes of apnea through the night and kept track of that. And they found out that they would wear it, like you mentioned earlier, for three or four hours and then they would get up and not put it back on because it's just a hassle. And so then they started making them an oral appliance. So a lot of these patients that would start with the CPAP, which we know is the gold standard, 
and then they would get up and use the restroom, and then they would come back and put their oral appliance in. So the total apneas for that night and the total apneas for the whole week were significantly down. So that's what he considered combined therapy. The other way that up until I heard him speak this summer was real severe apnea patients, We the appliance won't work on real severe apneas. And that's someone that's having, you know, f- over 35 episodes an hour. And so... What we'll do is we'll make a mouthpiece for them, knowing that this is not really going to cure or get them down below five episodes. But what it allows us to do is decrease that pressure from their mask. So they're wearing our appliance. So like this 3D printed one's very thin and small and lightweight. And so, and then putting the mask on, and we'll decrease the pressure down. We have a lady we just finished now. It's just she. They've cut it over in half. So she's not had any sinus infections or anything in the last three or four months. Because so. that's one of the consequences is when you have this pressurized oxygen, it actually puts a lot of pressure onto the face, into the sinuses, into the throat, causing that dry mouth phenomena, and then it's not that comfortable. No. So if you've got to put in a lot of pressure, hey, this is one way, if your mask is bothering you for those reasons, that the settings have to be so high, then there is a way to physically combine wearing a dental appliance and using the mask and maybe lower the amount of pressure required. That's definitely something that I bet a lot of folks are going to want to take advantage of. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Steve Wilhite, and he is a dental specialist who took on the task of trying to figure out if there is another way that we can treat apnea by adjusting the jaw and developing a dental appliance. And he's done this for the last, boy, I think 30 or 40 years now, no, Steve, I'm dating 20 plus. You. 20 plus. Okay. <laughs> 20 plus years. You're not, I didn't date him that much. <laughs> and uh, really has been successful in trying to help bring this technology here to the islands so that we can help with people who have apnea. Because we've got a lot of folks out there who do. Now, if you or someone you love has apnea, wears the mask, or maybe refuses to, we'd love to hear from you about what your wishes would be to see if you could help them. And if you're the person who's not wearing your mask, tell us why not. Uh, we would want to hear what are some of the side effects that you're having from it. You can join us at 941-3689. Toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Ella heard children screaming and laughing. There was a rustle in the bushes, and a skinny boy leaped out and pointed a suction cup arrow at them. You're on duty, he said. This week on Selected Shorts, Make Believe, from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., following Travel with Rick Steves. In the last two years, the generosity of HPR members to the Radio Flyers program has given nearly 200 neighbor island Keiki and their families access to care at Kapi'olani Medical Center for Women and Children. Donate your premium of 10 Hawaiian miles per dollar, minimum pledge $100 to the Radio Flyers Making Spirits Bright campaign. Call 941-3689 tomorrow or donate at hawaiipublicradio.org. Mahalo and happy holidays. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Steve Wilhite. And today we are talking about new ways to treat sleep apnea. If you or someone you love has been diagnosed with this or they're afraid to get diagnosed because they thought the only answer was this big machine, boy, have we got some news for you. Now you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. 3689. Now, Dr. Wilhite, in the old days, you know, if you had a big problem with wearing a CPAP mask and you were diagnosed with apnea, there was a surgery that was done. But these days, you don't seem to see that happening as often. Is that right? Exactly. Um, It was, they would, if they couldn't tolerate the CPAP, uh, they would send them to an ears, don't throat specialist and they would uh, laser off the back of that little piece of skin hanging down the, the uvula and the sides of the pharynx and it has a real long name, but we basically call it U-triple-P. Um, and we found that uh, the literature, I think it was out of Stanford, they published in uh, 2004, they uh, had a big, it, it relapses somewhere three to six months later, it has a tendency to relapse. But for the, all through the 90s, um, most of the appliances I were was making back then were all post uh U-triple-P surgery patients. And because the physicians were screening them, the pulmonologists there at Queens, and then they would send them over, and it would be the patients. And so for years, I thought I was basically just kind of like the icing on the cake, is that once they had the U-triple-P done, then we'd make the appliance. And then then throughout the whole world, you know, it become more and more popular treating these with these appliances. And we started finding out that if we have mild to moderate apnea patients uh, that prefer not to wear the CPAP, then we can go straight to the oral appliance now. And that's pretty much... Uh, a guideline in sleep medicine now. If Now, you mentioned prefer not to wear the CPAP. Yeah. Do they need to have a reason why they prefer not to? Not now at all. They just have to say that they prefer to try the oral appliance. And, and pretty much the screening protocol that we're used is they have to be, you know, less than 30 episodes um, a night. So mild to moderate, but severe. No, we, they we probably even, couldn't replace the CPAP with I would the, never see dental those. appliance. That patient never gets referred to me. So, okay. And then another thing, we kind of go by neck size of 17 inches, you know, for men, 16 inches for women. Uh, in uh, That's just a general... If we know that next size, uh, we try to stay at that size or less. Um, now, if they've had uh, the surgery done, then that helps us. Uh, we don't have to make, bring the jaw forward as much, so we know we can get that opened a little bit more. So, um, like I said, so we have some certain criteria, and obviously teeth, and have to be healthy teeth. So I'll get referred from the physician, and I'll look at their mouth, and they need to really go back to see their primary care dentist and get their mouth in good shape. So. We postpone treatment a lot and send them back to their regular dentists and have them clean their mouth up and um, and then come forward then. Well, and it certainly sounds like there's some things that can be done now that surgery is not as common that also would allow people to be able to treat the apnea, feel better, and not necessarily have to wear the mask that a lot of people have troubles with. And if the appliance works, then it works great. And if it doesn't work, you can you can certainly go back to wearing the mask if you're diagnosed with apnea. Now, we've got some callers in the line. We have Chelsea on the line from the Big Island. Chelsea, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. And you may have already covered this because I didn't hear the whole show. So uh, That's okay. Ask over. again. Repetition yeah. makes us Thank learn you. it. Uh, my understanding is, because um, I think my husband has sleep apnea, that there may be two types, or at least two types of sleep apnea. One is uh, more physically based, the inflammation or obstruction, and the other one does it have something to do with like brain chemistry or nervous system. 
You got it. Yep, Dr. Wilhite saying central, and the other one is obstructive, and he's shaking his head like, yep, I've heard about those. We didn't cover it yet, Chelsea. Is that your question? Yeah, I was just wondering if you could give um, a quick explanation between the two, and um, uh, I guess if you know how the other treat as well, although it may be off top show. Okay, good uh, good question, uh, Dr. Wilhite. Do you want to take on obstructive sleep apnea? We can treat obstructive sleep apnea with oral appliances, but central apneas, I'll let you handle that I'll one. take central. Yeah, so we won't treat that with it. Obstructive means that you've got this problem. You've got this either tongue falling backward or the airway collapsing. And so to treat an obstruction, you create a path, whether the path be with a dental appliance, moving the jaw forward, moving the tongue out of position, or with the pressurized oxygen that's pushing the oxygen down into the lungs so that you've created a path. Okay. With central sleep apnea, you are absolutely right, Chelsea. It is a totally different situation. And that's where your brain, which normally would be able to sense a low oxygen level in the blood, is not responding appropriately. And therefore, it is not making you take the breaths that you need to when your oxygen level is low. And that's a much more difficult thing to treat. In fact, sometimes people have to be put on machines that will give them a minimum number of breaths so that they can actually get in enough oxygen and expire enough carbon dioxide because their brain won't make them do it if the levels get altered at all. So there are other types of machines, but no oral appliances or dental devices that can actually treat the central form of sleep apnea. And the difficult part is some folks have both. And I've got a couple of patients who have both obstructive and central apnea, and they've got a whole bunch of troubles. And so they have other machines that they use. There's one called BiPAP, um, intermittent pressure, and bi-level, which is two levels. So there's other things that can be done. But if you think your husband has a problem, you're right, he needs to get checked out. And your, your, your thought will either be confirmed or denied when he has testing done, but do encourage him to do so because at the top of the hour, we talked about the consequences of apnea, whether it be obstructive or central, it can cause you to have some serious physical problems, high blood pressure, heart arrhythmias, people wind up having decreased blood going to the rest of their body, to kidneys, to every other organ there is, to their brain, and then God forbid, they're on the road and they wind up having a problem where they're sleepy, they can't operate their car correctly, they either injure themselves or somebody else, there's, there's always concerns about that. So if you're concerned you know, have him get it checked out. And and it would be a great Christmas gift for him to do that for you. And I'm giving him a suggestion there, Mr. Husband of Chelsea, so that maybe he'll do that for you. All right. We've got another caller on the line. We've got Dennis from Mililani. Dennis, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. What can we do for you today? Well, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I am um, using a CPAP and have been for the last five years. And I had a couple of um, comments. The first is I had a really close friend of mine who actually uh, died because of sleep apnea, which really uh, shook me to my core and got me actually to go and see a a physician and have um, a sleep test done. Um, During that sleep test, I found out that I didn't have enough episodes to really be classified as somebody that had sleep apnea, but yet still I I kind of insisted and pushed uh, pushed the issue and got my physician to write me a, a, a script for a CPAP machine. And I can only tell you that it has uh, really helped my sleep. And I feel 100% better. And I guess uh, part of the, the problem is, is I think that sometimes mild cases, even though they don't show up on the sleep test, uh, can still create uh, 
uh, problems in your everyday life. You're absolutely right, Dennis. And, you know, you noticed that you felt better when you used the machine to help you with your breathing, and yet you didn't even, in the beginning, meet the criteria to use the machine. So you're a perfect example of where listening to how you felt the next day was more important than just following the strict criteria, did you meet it or not. You're living proof that when you used it, you felt better. Yeah, and, and it goes so far as knowing that, you know, I wasn't uh, sleepy during the middle of the day. I had a lot more um, uh, restful sleep, um, and I, I felt uh, like it was a, a almost life change. I won't sleep without it now. And I'm curious to see how these, you know, apparatuses work uh, with the jaw and everything. I just know that I'm getting results from the, from the machine and just encourage all your listeners that if you even think that you have obstructive or any type of sleep apnea or even sleep disturbances, you should get it checked out. It makes a world of difference. Well, and I hope Chelsea's husband is hearing you, Dennis, because she just called and said she thinks her husband has apnea. And I hope he hears that you physically feel so much better having taken the initiative. And, you know, Dr. Wilhite, we said earlier, if somebody's doing great on their CPAP machine, good for them. Keep using it. The fact that you've been able to, to use it, Dennis, and be consistent with it, Good job, because when you feel that much better, for those people who can tolerate wearing the mask, when you feel better, you'll never go back. Just like you said, you won't sleep without it. So it works great for for a lot of folks. And if it does, don't mess with success. That's what we're saying. All right. We've got Rob on the phone from the Big Island. Rob, welcome to The Body Show. Yeah, hi. It's Robert. Um, Robert, I'm sorry about that. First of all, you've you've made it sound like this machine is an awful thing. And it's huge, and it's problem traveling, and I'm not wild. I've used one for 20 years. I'm not wild about it, but uh, uh, they're getting smaller. Um, It's not a big thing anymore. And I've traveled throughout Asia, throughout Europe, across the country, in South America. Never had a problem. I mean, TSA for a while was wanting to look at it and swiped it, but they haven't done that in years. Uh, All you need is a plug. Uh, adapter to plug it in the wall, but you're going to need that if you want to charge your phone or your iPad. So I just think you're making the machine sound more onerous than it is, and the travel problems you've mentioned don't need to be. So that's the first thing I want to say. Okay, Um, respectfully, I agree that if you've had a great time and you've traveled throughout the world with it, that's fantastic because you've got the first-hand experience and I don't. And they're getting smaller. I'm, I'm happy to know that. Okay. Uh, secondly, I'm glad you finally mentioned that you can have the sleep lab done at home, which I've done several times now. And it's, uh, I think more people, if they know they can get it out down home, are more likely to do it uh, and more likely to sleep better and get better results. Yeah, you're absolutely right that if you can do it at home, you're more likely to sleep, Robert. That's that's definitely true. Now, we're getting a little bit of feedback, so if you can get a little closer to the phone, that would be great. Did you have another comment on no, apnea? No, I, I said what I needed to say. Thank you okay. very much. Have a good day. All right. Bye-bye. Well, thank you for bringing that up because it's nice to know firsthand experience. The machines are getting smaller. And the home study, which is definitely something that can be done. You know, Dr. Wilhite, if you go to one of those sleep labs and you've seen the one where you work. Yeah. Some people say they just can't sleep there. Absolutely. You hear that more common than anything. The problem with <clears throat> home sleep studies uh, is verifying the person that took it home actually took the study. So they're having trouble with some occupations, not to pick on pilots or uh, commercial drivers, that they've been diagnosed with sleep apnea, and it affects if they actually have that diagnosis, it affects their job. 
And so they will give a sleep study to take home. And the problem is, is they hook their spouse up to it. So there's a warm sensor that shows that it's been used, okay, but it shows there's no apnea. But they're having issues now. Is it, was it actually that person or was it the spouse that had the, the home study done on them? Well, and for those people for whom this has direct impacts on their job or their livelihood, there may be some concerns. But yeah. for your average individual, oh, no. you know, if you can do this study at home and mimic the symptoms that you would have if you were in your own bed, that's ideal. Oh, it's perfect. So good that we can do that now. All right. We've got time for one more quick caller. We've got James from Kaneohe. Welcome to The Body Show. Hey, hi. Uh, just a couple quick questions. Um, so I'm one of those guys who never got used to the CPAP. I tried the BiPAP. I tried Ambien. I tried I gave up years ago. Um, I would like to know, well, what I started doing was I stopped sleeping on my back. I only go side to side, and I also sleep propped up or, or in a recliner sometimes. And I'm just wondering, does that um, help to alleviate the apnea? I don't wake up like I used to. I've noticed that difference. And I'm wondering if what your take is on that. That's a really good question because, James, you're probably not the only person who has found some alternate way to address their apnea because in your case, you know, you and the masks and the machines didn't get along. And for some people, they do great. And like Robert called earlier, he does great. Dennis called, he does great. And I'm so glad to know that the machines have advanced and gotten better. And so that's one thing that you could take a look at is, you know, uh, we have folks like Robert who said the machine's smaller, and Dennis, he, he tolerates it very well. So the, the machines have changed, so that's one thing to consider. The second thing, which is really interesting, is the old way to treat sleep apnea, you know, like the old wives' tale kind of way to treat it, is sew a tennis ball in someone's back so they don't sleep on their back, so they only sleep on their side, because gravity means that you'll have less obstruction if you're on your side rather than being on your back. So that is actually a treatment that, although it may not completely cure your apnea, could make you breathe a little bit better. So that's definitely true. Um, yeah. Up in a recliner sounds good, but not so comfortable. You know, there's there's always that possibility that although you're in the recliner, you know, you're not your back is getting a little irritated or some other part of your body. I'd be I'd be curious, Doctor Wilhite, is, is is James the kind of guy who if he winds up still having apnea, let's say he gets retested, even on his side he has the problem, would he be the kind of individual that might succeed with an appliance? Sure. I mean we'd have to see what his study is. Do you happen to know what you were you diagnosed with mild apnea or moderate apnea? I think it was moderate to severe, actually, and that was probably eight years ago or something. Have you lost some weight since then? No, okay. I've been gaining weight. <laughs> okay, that doesn't help the cause. Um, no. You know, you probably have to get retested again and look at the number. And then, um, it, you know, and obviously I'm assuming you have healthy teeth and stuff like that. Uh, is your neck size under 17 inches? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there were some of the basic criteria, you know, over the radio that you could do without actually seeing you, but uh, you'd have to talk to your sleep specialist and, you know, get a referral then. Okay, so, one last quick question about the oral devices. Do they have side effects like TMJ or anything like that? Does that cause jaw problems in some people? Or? Well, if if they have it pre-existing, we probably, if it's severe, we will not make that appliance for them. But uh, traditionally, we do not, it doesn't really cause a joint problem, Um you know, because we're really moving it at not uh, all the way out to the very edge. Most people assume that it's going to be as far as they can stick their lower jaw out, and it's really about 50 to 60%. Um, so, you know, traditionally we'll do a, you know, exam and make sure the joints are healthy enough to bring uh, the jaw forward. But 
Um, it doesn't really cause TMJ. The only really known side effect we know, teeth will move. Um, after 10 years, you'll see some movement of teeth. And, uh, you know, in the majority of cases, it's not noticeable. Uh, but there are a few patients. And it's actually with some of the older appliances, the appliances that were fixed that couldn't move. All right. Well, I hope that answers your question, James. And Dr. Wilhite, I want to thank you. We've talked a lot about it, but you've got a lot of expertise and a new, in addition to whatever you're doing for apnea, this is another alternative and or combination therapy that I'm really happy to hear about. So thanks for sharing your expertise with us today Thanks on for the show. having me. We're going to have to do it again. We had a lot of folks who wanted to know more. Well, if you'd like to hear the show again, you can listen to our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week on The Body Show, live in the studio. Woo!